Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 120. If you like Gloomhaven, try out these other games. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. Well, we are talking all things Gloomhaven. And so, yes, a very gloomy, dark, dank, kind of mysterious world. And yet... One of the most fascinating, and as we talked about last week, one of the hottest games on Board Game Geek, and one of the kind of blow-ups on Kickstarter, not just once, but twice. Everyone's been talking about Gloomhaven, and we wanted to talk to you about Gloomhaven, and especially all the other great games that you could check out. Now, our If You Like episodes are typically the ones that we get the most feedback from. So we want to let you know that there's a lot of ways to reach out to us and let us know what games you're playing and what games we'd like to talk about on a future episode. So if you'd like to let us know, reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on Board Game Geek, our iTunes account, and our Stitcher account. And don't forget, we always have a Patreon account. All right. So real quick before we dive into the acquisition disorder, I did want to mention the... Uh, a Kickstarter campaign that just went up. So this is, you know, full disclosure, an advertiser on our site. And they it is Mage Company uh, with their newest 12 Realms Kickstarter, Dungeon Land. Uh, I think it launched on June 1st, just a couple days ago. This is the second launch, I think. They had a couple issues with the first one. And it's basically a dungeon crawl using the 12 Realms figures in the fantasy fables worlds. So check that out if you like 12 Realms or if you like uh, fairy tales and want to crawl through dungeons with fairy tale characters <laughs> which definitely sounds interesting and definitely have a lot of cool things going on there so check that out it's definitely going to be on a lot of people's acquisition disorders i'm sure so anthony what's on yours yeah so then the next one up here is this is actually pretty cool so uh one of our listeners tim harima he i don't know if i'm saying that right i forgot to ask him but um he's, he's been listening for a long time actually he you know comments on facebook and twitter and you know, joins our questions of the day quite often. But he has his own game, his first game on Kickstarter, uh, I think in this coming week, sometime in June. And it is, it's called Archmage, being launched by Game Salute. And so he reached out and asked if, you know, if we had time to join him to play through the game on Tabletopia. And, you know, him being a listener and us having had, you know, many conversations in the past, I was like, yeah, absolutely, it'd be a lot of fun. So despite Tabletopia's best efforts to derail the evening uh, with technical glitches we were able to play the game again full disclosure i haven't played the physical version of the game this was a digital version um rules might change a little bit the game hasn't been produced yet so this is why it's acquisition disorder but i I will say that what i played of it uh, online was very very interesting it's area control where you so you have your mages and you're moving around and as you move around um, you can drop other mages on the board to kind of control different spaces and you have a limited number of these mages to drop out there other people can move through those spaces and get rid of them where you land at the end of your turn allows you to activate and do different things and the goal of doing all of that well the the primary goal is to score points you score a lot of points from the area control but the secondary goal which will also score your points is to 
unlock different spells. And you do that by getting mages or little guys that you can place on your mage tower in one of many concentric circles. And so the way it works is there's multiple circles, one for each of the different schools of magic, and you place a guy in there, and you place one in the circle next to it, and then you can take an action where they move into the the space that overlaps, and then you remove one of those guys, because it's thematically what's happening is they're dueling, and one of them loses, but that means the one that won gets an upgrade, which means you access a higher level spell. And then you can do it again, there's a third level. So the goal is to unlock all these spells, as many as you can, and these give you new abilities in the game. And so you can use these these abilities. Some of them are just mean and allow you to hurt other people. Others allow you to protect yourself against getting hurt by other people. Others still allow you to take extra actions or speed things up. So there's a lot of different cool things you can do. You get to decide which angles you're going to take. And then each of those spells is worth points at the end of the game. So the more spells you unlock, the more points you will have in combination with the area control. Very, very interesting take on area control something I don't always enjoy. In case I very much did because it had so many other cool elements that kind of fed into that. So I am actually legitimately excited for this. I'm certainly going to back it, and I recommend you check it out. Artwork looks fantastic, and it's going to be up on Kickstarter real soon. So, And if you have any questions, uh, we can point you towards the designer. He's he's on the BGA page, probably one of the comments right now. So, <laughs> so Anthony, one of the games that I'm really looking forward to checking out, hitting my acquisition disorder, is is a kind of a long-time, old-time favorite game, and that would be The Manhattan Project. Now, we've talked about The Manhattan Project before, and we've talked about The Expansion before, and we've talked about Energy Empire before, and typically these games are... I would say maybe a theme that's a little kind of off-putting to some people as far as developing atomic weapons and being able to drop them on other people. But nonetheless, there's something very charming and interesting about this game as far as the mechanics that are at play here. As far as you are building these different buildings, you are deploying different types of workers to those areas, you're pulling those workers off to be able to perform certain actions, you're building bombs, you're building planes, you're building different types of materials, and then you're implementing this kind of strategic gameplay to kind of rush to build the bomb. Now, obviously, Energy Empire goes a little bit of a different way, using nuclear power for positive means, but at the same time worrying about the pollution. Well, Manhattan Project 2, Minutes to Midnight, actually throws out all that peaceful kind of stuff and goes back to the really hardcore war. What you're trying to do is actually pretty simple. You're trying to build nuclear weapons. You are trying to deploy those weapons and, of course, building bombers and subs in order to be able to have enough nuclear arsenal out there and by being able to test these weapons and gain control over third world nations you pretty much win the game as far as any typical Euro game is concerned. So all that pacifism's out the window. It's all about blowing each other up and taking over the world. This game is up on Kickstarter right now. And pretty much, I would say at this point, you probably have still maybe less than a week to pick this up from Minion Games. It looks like more of the same, which is not a bad thing here. And for a $59 pledge, you can actually pick the game up itself it's uh, manhattan project 2 minutes to midnight all right so let's move away from the world domination and let's move on to the games that are hitting our table anthony what's uh what have you been playing this week okay so about as far from world domination and nuclear weapons as you can get <laughs> uh we have stained glass windows oh there you go 
Sagrada. This is a dice placement game in which you are making stained glass windows. So the game is fairly simple. Uh, it takes place over 10 rounds. Each round you're going to draft from a pool of dice two times. So based on the number of players, there will be that many dice times two plus one. So three players means seven dice, for example. There are various rules for placement based on color and shade, the shade being the number on the die. Uh, so you just can't have two dice next to each other with the same number or same color. Um, orthogonally, diagonally is fine. Orthogonally, not so good. There are some colored spaces on the cards you get, some numbered spaces. Those ones always have to be matched to the die that you place there. And the the goal is really just to match your personal goal. At the beginning of the game, you get a goal for a color you need to get. So every die you have of that color, you get that many points matching the pips on that die. So mm -hmm. if you have a four, a three, and a six, you get 13 points from green, for example. Uh, and then there's public objectives that have different patterns and pairings and different things, and those will be random every game. There's also tool cards that come out at the beginning of the game. Um, these you can use with uh, tokens you get at the beginning of the game, and you get more tokens the harder the card you get is. So there's a whole bunch of cards you get and in the box, and you can choose which one you're gonna play. They go from three to five difficulty, I think. And the tools let you do all sorts of things. You can cheat, basically. You know, move stuff around, break one of the placement rules, um, exchange the die you took for a different one, change the face, etc. And that's pretty much it. Like the game, even with three or four players, doesn't take that long, you know, maybe 30 minutes at the top at the most. And that's even with kind of staring at your cards sometimes and trying to figure out the best placement. It's very, very cool. It's it's very pretty as well. Like you've got all these different colored dice, you're placing them in these windows. It is extremely overproduced. <laughs> like you get this big, large, you know, stained glass space. It doesn't need to be that. You could literally just have the card and the dice. But the way it works is you slide that card into the big piece of cardboard and the, the dice slot into it, which is really cool. It looks really cool. So you get a large box, a lot of stuff. It doesn't need to be all that, but it was kickstarted, so that's you know, you know why. Price isn't ridiculous based on all that though. I can get online for like 30 bucks. So I like it a lot. It's fantastic. It would be a very, very strong play for me. And it jumps to a buy because the solo game is just super good. It takes 10 minutes. It, it There are dozens of different cards to play through, different options, a lot of different ways to ramp up difficulty or scale it down. Probably one of my favorite dice games right now for solo play. Mm -hmm. And I think if I'm looking for something that's not dice chucking, but a lot of dice manipulation, it's, it's a good one multiplayer too. So I give it a buy. If you do not play solo games, it's a very strong play. Okay. Well, a game that I recently, well, somewhat recently, was able to get to the table, and that was thanks to Barnes & Noble Board Game Day, was a game called Quartz. And I got to play this with our friend Howard. And it was a game that I've seen before, but haven't actually got to the table, and was kind of interested because it had some really nice-looking design work to it and some really nice, beautiful little gems that came along with the game. So basically what you're doing in the game is you are one of these dwarven miners going down to the mines, and you are mining out all of these wonderful, beautiful, different gems. So there's a black bag, and inside the black bag is a large number of gems, including some black gems in the bag. And if you come across the black gems twice, then you had an accident and your round comes to an end. That's really what you don't want to happen. Now, what you do want to happen is you want to get, it's kind of like, let me say a set collection game as far as plastic gems are concerned. So you want to be able to get 
the highest rank gems, but also a number of gems that are all the same color. Because if you're able to match like threes and fours, you'll be able to score multipliers as far as points are concerned. So a three of a kind multiplies another type. And or you can get one of each and that will score you a lot of points. Now, if that was it alone, it was kind of one of those kind of press your luck types of games. But this game has a lot of cards that actually come into gameplay here. And these cards will do a large number of things, mostly mess with your opponents as far as making them go to the mines and risk their own lives down there or swap gems, steal gems, block people from taking gems. And of course, you could always leave the mine. So if you decide to leave the mine, you'll be able to get a card and possibly some money along with that. And that's pretty much it as far as the game's concerned. Once the game comes to a final end, you will count up all your money that you were able to get from trading in those gems based upon those particular combinations. And that's pretty much it. Now, this game is a pure Ameritrash game. It's obviously a press-your-luck game as you're pulling different colored gems out of the bag. I wouldn't say that there really is a way to kind of count the gems so much. There is a large number of them. If you are looking for maybe a very lightweight family game or something just to kind of pass the time as far as a filler is concerned, then this game could be a play. Uh, But I would say for everyone else, this game is a dodge. It just is way too light, way too random, and the cards just kind of throw things up in the air. While we were playing this game at the table, someone was like, I just want to mess with people. And he just kept saying that throughout the whole game, and it turned out he won. So uh, he wasn't even no. trying to win, and he won. And I was just like, ah. well-produced, filler at best, family, yeah, I would say so. But otherwise, stay away from this game. There's there's a lot of better places and a, a lot more rare board game gems out there somewhere. So uh, that's the uh, things hitting our table. So, Anthony, let's get on to our feature review and talking about the true gem, at least as far as Board Game Geek is concerned these days, Gloomhaven. So for our feature review, we are talking about if you like, then you should try out these other games. So this is one of our favorite segments because what we do is take the hottest games out there that you are currently playing and let you know what other games that are out there bear the mechanics the themes and the absolute true fun of the game that we are featuring this week and where you can find that in other places so since anthony has been the only one that's been lucky enough to pick up this game and i actually got a i guess a quick chance to play a kind of demo run with you and the designer anthony's going to take us for this full feature review so anthony why don't you take it away tell us about gloomhaven gloomhaven all right yeah so uh since I, yeah, exactly. I'm I'm one of two thousand people who actually have a copy <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> um, it, it is so the thing about Gloomhaven, and we're going to talk about uh, a couple different areas of it, but we're not going to talk about the games that you might expect because Gloomhaven, while it is a dungeon crawl and it is campaign legacy style, it isn't really either of those things in their purest forms. It, it kind of changes those things a little bit on the dungeon crawl side. It's it's a Euro players dungeon crawl you know you have a set number of cards and you have to plan out how you play them and then basically puzzle together how best to do what you want to do before you run out of cards or die there's no dice (laughs) so it's why i like this game so much on the legacy side it's not a true legacy game you're not destroying anything you're not removing anything but your characters do grow and they retire and you can add things that come up again later and the town is very in, in it's a big engaging part of the game so it's a lot more than just a strict campaign you know, I'm not going to walk through the entirety of Gloomhaven and what it is, but if you suffice it to say, if you've been on those boards, if you've been one of the hundreds of thousands of people reading about this game, you know that it is 
an evolution of sorts of what we consider a dungeon crawl and a campaign style game. And it, it does this in a lot of interesting ways. So, and it's very combat based. So that's an important part of it. So what we wanted to do is dive into um, kind of the two major areas that people talk about with this one and give you guys three different games for each of those areas that you might also want to consider. If you either A, somehow magically have finished this, which I doubt, or B, we're not able to get a copy are waiting for your copy from the second Kickstarter or couldn't afford the second Kickstarter and now are waiting for your friend to get a copy so you can play the game. On the legacy and campaign side, let's start there. So these three games, and again, legacy is not the most accurate way to describe the game. It is used a lot, but there are stickers, there are things that change, but most of it can be rolled back. Really the key thing here is you have a campaign where your characters evolve and level up and change to the point that sometimes you might change out the characters that you're using, unlock new characters. Um, there are envelopes and boxes that come in the game that you won't access until you get to the point that you can open them. And so a lot of those things are like legacy games, but it's not a true legacy game in the sense that you're like ripping things up or changing things permanently and can't go back and redo it. So the three games that I picked that are uh, similar to this really focus heavily on the campaign side and the evolution of the, the pieces that go with it. The first one is Mechs versus Minions. So from a gameplay perspective, not nearly the same, but from when you open the box, you are there are multiple missions. They're each sealed up in an envelope. You can't access them until you complete the first one, and then the second one, and the third one, and so on. Um, you unlock new abilities and new cards and new mechanics, really, in the game as you move along. And part of that's just how the game presents information. You could truly just open up everything and play all of it, but I think that's part of what a legacy game does, is it kind of grows and provides information and resources and mechanics as the game you know progresses so the campaign and the different elements of mechs versus minions while not the same as gloomhaven necessarily has the same feel to it it, it makes a it changes how programmed games and cooperative games feel and how you how you feel like you should be playing them uh, to some degree in much the same way that gloomhaven does with the campaign <clears throat> so the next one uh, that i want to talk about is the Arkham Horror Living Card Game. So this one is similar in a lot of ways to the Lord of the Rings card game. Uh, it's similar in a lot of ways to Arkham Horror, the board game. But what it does that's really interesting is when you complete each of these scenarios, certain things can happen. You can succeed, you can fail, you can succeed, but not as well as you could have succeeded. Um, there's different paths you can take every time you complete a different part of this game, and that allows you to change your deck. What Lord of the Rings did is it had a story-based system where every time you played, you were going through a new scenario that kind of built on the last one, and you're moving through this kind of narrative progression. But every time you played, you build a new deck, basically from scratch, and you could use any cards you wanted. In Arkham, you are evolving your deck. You're adding things to it. You're removing things. You're you're changing it to to adjust to the type of game that you're playing and the difficulty. You, it really feels like cross of an RPG and a living card game as you kind of progress forward. And that that's very much that kind of campaign style of everything you do has an impact as you grow with the game, but you can't. It, you're never at the point you can't undo what you just did or try again or like, you know, what, I'm not ready to move on to the next one. Let's just try this scenario again and see if I can do better and maybe get the path I want. And so Arkham Horror, the living card game, it, it definitely feels like, a, again, that similar evolution of campaign style play, but for an LCG. And then the last one here from this side I wanted to talk about 
is Shadowrun Crossfire. This game's out of print. I don't think it's coming back, but uh, it, it was a very popular game um, for hardcore co-op players and solo gamers. Extremely difficult. I think we played this like four years ago at PAX um, right before it came out, and it wasn't in print for super long after that. But the game, based in the Shadowrun universe, it has you building characters, it's changing those characters, um, evolving as the game moves forward and kind of what you do in one scenario will feed into the next one. It was like that hardcore, you're going to lose co-op style of uh, deck builder combined with a campaign and utilizing kind of the RPG elements from Shadowrun um, to build a very unique and decently difficult game. The cool thing about this is even though it is currently out of print and not coming back, they are retheming it as Dragonfire, Dungeons and Dragons style game. The big question mark here is player count. So Shadowrun Crossfire was one to four players. Dragonfire is three to six, which three to six is never an ideal count for a game, in my opinion. Two to six would be fine. One to six would be much better. But we'll see what they end up doing with it. The theme, I'm excited about the theme, at least, and the fact that they're bringing the system back. I think it's important. So that's three uh, campaign style games that are a little bit unique and different from what you might typically see and not necessarily things you would think of if you're waiting for Gloomhaven at the moment. Now, the other side, on the dungeon crawl side, again, similarly, looking for games that do things a little bit differently. So the first one I thought of uh, is Mage Knight. Now, the thing about Mage Knight, an immense, complicated, heavy puzzle. Playing with a lot of people can cause headaches and make it take a very long time, and it's not as much fun. Uh, one or two people, fantastic game. It's not necessarily a true dungeon crawl. It's um, you know more of a cross between dungeon crawl and um, adventure game. But the same kind of idea of having a limited number of cards, cards that can do multiple things, determining what order to play them in, programming your actions in such a way that you get to the point that you're trying to get to, and then taking the time to program those actions. It does have dice where Gloomhaven does not, but the dice don't really drive things like combat. You drive things like combat. You have the cards to control combat and to lose at combat, <laughs> as the case may be. So very similar in that it is a Euro player's dungeon crawl style of game. Um, the combat here is very mathy. But if that's what you like and if that's what you're looking forward to with Gloomhaven, Mage Knight is, is a good one. Um, to tide you over until you get there. Uh, the next one here is more of a pure dungeon crawl, but it did have some twists to it, and that's Myth. Myth is, we reviewed this way back when, and we called it the big box of fun, and that that's exactly what it is. It has all these different things you can do. You can build your own scenarios. You can do all these different things. The mechanics are complex enough. It's It's very similar to an RPG in that there's enough things in the box and in the rule book and in the cards you can kind of do whatever you want with it. You know, it can be mutated and changed and twisted and you can follow the campaigns through and, you know, complete the story or you can do different things with it. And, and that was always very cool. It was a little dense and hard to get into at first because of the rules and the problems with those. But since then, they've released quite a bit of content for this. Now, I know that they recently announced that they are in talks to be acquired. Um, the Myth brand is being acquired. We don't yet know by who or if it'll continue or if it'll grow or what's going to happen. But the current system, if you can get a copy, this is a very good dungeon crawl. The rules problem have been fixed. It's not like your typical like D&D uh, style dungeon crawler where you're just you know rolling dice and moving and exploring and finding stuff. Um, there's a lot more to it. And then the last one on the list that I wanted to talk about is one that is not even out yet, and that is Sword and Sorcery. This was 
backed on Kickstarter um, a little over a year ago, I believe, and it is coming from uh, Ares Games, um, it was originally produced by Gremlin Project, um, which uh, was picked up by Ares for uh, distribution here. And this is actually the evolution of Galaxy Defenders. And Galaxy Defenders was a uh, uh, sci-fi version of this. It was like a sci-fi dungeon crawl where you're moving around the board and you know, basically trying to take out different ships and elements that were trying to you know, you know, get in your way. This one is fantasy. So it's very, very classic fantasy. Obviously, you can tell by the name with big, beautiful fantasy miniatures. And you are... It's a cooperative uh, dungeon crawl in which you're facing off against forces of evil. So on the face, it looks pretty much the same as everything else. But it does have that Galaxy Defender system, and they've streamlined it a lot. They've made it faster. Um, they've improved kind of the area movement and area control aspects of the game. But you also get the, you know, the things that you love about this type of game, the modular boards, the dice rolling, uh, the... The variable player powers depending on which character you're playing as so if you're looking for something maybe a little bit more traditional that kind of scratches that same itch uh, while you wait for gloomhaven then this one might be worth checking out and if you're at origins i think they're launching and releasing there and i think it's, it should start shipping elsewhere pretty soon there you have it three dungeon crawls three campaign games all of them good games to tide you over if you are currently waiting for gloomhaven or have somehow finished or gotten bored with that one <laughs> which i doubt and uh, yeah, check those out. All right, so that's for our feature review for this week. Anthony, we've been getting a lot of talk on our social media, so which of those great questions made it to our question of the week? All right, so this is one that I, I was thinking of just because uh, there's a, a big game in my collection I've been considering purchasing a new copy of because of certain damage. Uh, so I asked people, are there any games you've bought more than once? So the first answer I got, which is great, is a picture that Eric sent in. This is on the Facebook group of him holding seven copies of Carcassonne in front of a thrift store. And then multiple people replied saying they'd done similar things at thrift stores, including myself, thinking, wow, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I'd probably do the same thing. <laughs> I would dollars. totally do the same thing. <laughs> Not with Carcassonne, but yeah, similar game, sure. I don't know, man. Like three or four dollars. I'm like, yeah, I'll take them all. I'll give them out for gifts. Who knows? Like, yeah, it's true. Willie said, other than games I've given away to people who've liked them when I played and purchased myself another copy, um, I have to list Port Royal and Jaipur. So Port Royal had a glass of wine spilled on it, Ooh. which is funny because it's Port Royal. Yeah. And then uh, that gets cut off here on Jaipur, but it... The, Saw similar themes with games where I destroyed or fell on the floor or whatever ends up happening there. Like I've had similar things where some games have gotten spilled on um, and had to find new copies of them. Jolene says race for the galaxy. Uh, those base game cards are pretty worn out. True. So when the expansion arcs two and three came out, we got a new base to go with those. And then they keep an extra set at their vacation house so they can play race wherever they are. Uh, and then Michael uh, also bought an extra copy of Carcassonne, but not because of thrift stores. He had an unfortunate drink accident. Ooh. <laughs> so, uh, and then multiple people mentioned giving gifts away. Uh, so I, I think that's something we've all done as well, giving gifts of games that you own. I, I am on the brink of buying a new copy of War of the Ring because the box, my box, is falling to pieces. Sure. Um, and I've invested enough in this game in the form of painting them and upgrading components and sleeving everything and buying a bigger board that the completely destroyed box it's currently in is a little bothersome to me. But um, I haven't quite bit the bullet on that yet because it is pricey. Yeah, I would say that the games that you, I end up drafting and then you typically have black border cards, so... The game that probably has been multiple copied would be Citadels. 
And just by the fact that it has literally 600 different editions would probably be Love Letter. Mm, yeah. Because that's such a small game that I have a copy in the car right now. <laughs> I have a copy at my place. I have a copy at my family's place. So, yeah. <laughs> it's cheap enough you can do that. It's easy enough that you can play. And since those cards get a lot of handling, typically you're going to have to pick up multiple copies of those. Yeah, I think I might have multiple copies of Love Letter around here, too. That's, yeah. That's a good one. It's very good. All right, so that is everything for our episode for this week. So until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at our gloomy yet wonderful Gloomhaven table.